Well, I did. I wanted to mention that 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 kind of ends with a little bit of heavy on the obviously the body of Christ and the responsibility, and that's obviously the intention is to draw Laodicean Christians into a into a, a mindset uh, to reach missions. And as we enter this message this morning on our seventh reality of HBF, our seventh and final, it's going to take me three sessions to get through it, but it's our seventh reality. It's dealing with how real war zones uh, are impacted by the church. So real churches must impact real war zones. And I thought that was a really fitting video. Having said that, it's important to understand that that um, some of the reasons uh, that some of those things are happening, obviously, ultimately, it's all because of sin, Adam's sin. And our need to get there is, is obviously uh, so important. Uh, we got to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. So when we talk about real war zones, and I don't, I don't mean physical war zones, although the evidence of sin, uh, when sin is unchecked, will ultimately lead to death and destruction and real armed conflict, geopolitical powers and all of that. Um, but, but the reality of the matter is, is when God calls us to engage, uh, he's going to call, call us to engage in, in real battles. I mean, things that make a difference in the, in the fabric of people's uh, souls, obviously, being changed, being changed from the, the image of, of a lost man and Adam's fallen image into the image of Christ being changed, obviously, in a family context. How many of us have could give testimony of how Christ has changed the, our families, uh, how that changes the culture in which we live, the city in which you live, the country in which you live, and it does really impact the world. And the simple gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is powerful. It should not be overlooked. It should not be underestimated of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel. That's why Romans 1 speaks to that. It is the power of God unto salvation. And so... When a nation rejects the gospel, when a people reject the gospel, when someone comes to this church and rejects the gospel, there's consequences to that as well. Your life will not get better. Well, it may get better. You might get more riches and you might get more money, but the things that really matter in the soul are not helped, right? And things get worse. And ultimately, even entire nations that have rejected the gospel fall under judgment. And, and that's really why it is so urgent that we get the gospel where it needs to go on time. Uh, not just because of earthquakes and just because of famine and all of those things, which are obviously important, uh, but because we understand that this is the age of grace. Grace will run out soon, and we need to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. So we've been talking about these seven realities of HBF, and we've talked about how real people must be found in real churches, real Christians are Christ-like, real relationships reach real people. We have to be authentic in our relationship with God if we're going to reach others. We've talked about how real ministers reproduce God's character uh, through the process of discipleship and ministry, and we model what we, we teach. And then we talked about how real ministers are drawn into real battles, uh, very much what the video was talking about even this morning, uh, of how we those that are mature, right, those that are weaned from the milk, get involved in, in more uh, intense spiritual combat. And we talked about that for several weeks. And that leads us to this, uh, to the sixth reality, which is when you get into the ministry and you start doing uh, ministry. You don't have to be a pastor or missionary, but when you start doing the work of ministry, you end up uh, leading from the front, and faithfulness and fruitfulness come from that. Not because of who you are, but because who Christ is, and he will bless that. So if you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Matthew chapter 28, verses uh, 19 and 20. Uh, this is the same passage that uh, pastor uh, and missionary Mike Pepper preached on just a few weeks ago, and so God wants us to hear it again. And as we conclude our realities uh, sermon series, I hope that you have been able to really understand the essence of, of who we must be to do what God has called us to do. At times, the mission of God seems overwhelming, 
And, and I pray uh, God establishes us and refreshes our focus in who he is and who he has saved us to be here at HBF. By God's grace, we are an oasis filled with people who love God and we care about people and God and the people that God has died for. And that is not just here in Cass County, but the dying souls around the world. That's really what it's all about, is having a true understanding of God's heart and communicating that to others. And we know God has already given us the victory. He's made us more than conquerors, and it's now time for us to fulfill the vision that God has given us to be a, a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation from Philippians chapter 2. So we do this by equipping the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God by the grace of God. And practically speaking, we embrace the same scope of mission that the church in the first century in the book of Acts embraced. By God's grace, we will expand God's kingdom in our communities, right? In the communities that you live in, right? The ones right here in Harrisonville, uh, in Cass County, if you're in Jackson County, Bates County, I don't care what county, but wherever it is that you live, wherever you're coming from, uh, you are salt and light in that community. And that will impact both uh, where you live, but also it affects the world because God has called us to reach the world. And it is increasingly evident and obvious that we are engaged in a spiritual war. God used the Apostle Paul to remind us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And since that video there that we just watched was shot, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of things happen in our culture to where the, the church is not as comfortable as she used to be. Uh, and that's a good thing, because we should be prepared and, and increasingly prepared for the rigors of accomplishing God's mission as the days go forward. So we got to make sure that we are not only, as your pastor, I'm not only looking at uh, what's going on right here within our perimeter, but also we have to be looking beyond uh, our perimeter and understand what's happening globally if we really want to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And that's why we're here in this study this morning. So as we look at the seventh reality, real churches impact real war zones, the first thing we're going to see this morning is we do that by discerning God's strategic mission. So I've asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, and uh, if you have your Bibles, let's stand. I know you know this. You could probably quote it, most of you, but let's go ahead and stand in honor of God's Word. Read the Word of God, and then I'm going to jump off into this message. It says in verse 19, very familiar to all of us, Go ye, the ye is us, therefore, and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today as we read these words of this great commission, as we call it, or that at the end, it reminds us that you are with us always, even unto the end of the world. And Lord, the, world of the, end, the, the end of the world has not come yet. Lord, it's actually not even close. Uh, we're at least... We're, we're over a thousand years away from that, plus some. And so, Father, we know that you're with us always. And this mission is our mission, Lord. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just in, in, increase our understanding of who you are so we can accomplish that which you want us to do. And that we would truly be able to fulfill the words of God, that we would be able to be caught up together in the air and, and you would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That you would say, well done, thou good and faithful church at HBF. That you would say, well done, that you have accomplished the mission of God and the power of God by the grace of God for the glory of God, and that we would be able to cast our crowns at your feet, Lord, that we would be able to uh, thank you for all of, of the, the power, the love, and the, 
sound mind that you've given us, Lord. I pray, God, ultimately that we would be faithful, that we would be fruitful, and that we would go first uh, into these uh, real war zones and accomplish your mission and your power for your glory with the partners that you bless us with. Uh, Lord, we thank you and we ask that you bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So if you have an outline in front of you, the first thing that you see is uh, the, the title here. So we're only going to get through the first point. We're going to see two other points. Today we're going to be looking at how real churches impact real war zones by discerning God's strategic mission. And then in the, uh, the weeks to come, we'll be see, seeing that uh, real churches impact real war zones by deploying God's strategic messengers and depositing God's strategic message. But for this morning, I only have time to talk to you about discerning God's strategic mission because we've got to understand the mission before we can deploy it. And so we will not understand the nature of God's strategic mission if we do not understand the war that we're engaged in. So point A in your notes, it's important that we understand the conflict. Understand the conflict. You've got to understand the conflict, right? If you're going to understand God's strategic mission, you've got to understand that there is a real war. It doesn't do us any good to, to think, oh, there's not a war. If you live in Ukraine right now and you think there's not a war, you're foolish, right? You need to have your head on a swivel because that means you don't know what's going to come. You never know what's going to happen. The war that we are engaged in started in heaven. Where did this war start? Well, it started in heaven. In Isaiah 14, the Bible says in verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? There was a light being. Lucifer means, you know, it deals with illumination. And this, this being obviously was Lucifer, the covering cherub, but he, he didn't stay in that position because he was full of pride. The Bible says, How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? Notice that in that, that description in Isaiah fourteen twelve that he weakened the nations, plural. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the heights, <coughs> I mean, on the mount of the congregation, in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. There in that text, uh, many of you know that we have the five I wills. Five is the number of death, and uh, that is associated with uh, Satan there as he falls. This cherub, this anointed cherub, started all the problems, right? He is where things went wrong, and uh, we cannot fight a spiritual war in the power of the flesh. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10.4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So social work will not get the job done, right? Feeding hungry people and all of those things that we should do, we're all about doing that, is not really the issue. That is the symptom. The real problem is that we are in a spiritual conflict. So you've got to start there and understand you are, in a, you are in a battle, and there is strategy going on. And so the outcome, point two, the outcome of this war has never been in question. Just so you know, and this helps give you hope in the midst of every difficulty, uh, the Lord said in Isaiah 14, 15, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So as far as the outcome of this, we know what's going to happen to Satan. He is going to be cast down to hell. The Bible's very clear about that. We get a blow-by-blow -blow, uh, view of that in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. So we know what's going to happen. That means, what's that mean? But we're the victors. Isn't it good to know you're the victor? I know, I'm glad I'm, I'm, glad I'm on the winning team. If you're born again, you're on the winning team. By the way, if you're not born again, you're not on the winning team, whether you know that or not. So point three, the theater for this war has been determined. All right, so the theater for this war has been determined. And I've alluded to this in the previous weeks. The second heaven, which is outer space where Satan and his angels have dominion, um, you know, is 
is a, is a place where what God is trying to do and what we're, what's trying to happen right here on this earth is being contested. And I know that from Daniel chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 21. Now, I don't have time this morning to go back and read all of that. Uh, that'd be a study into itself. It'd be a good one. But Daniel, I'll just kind of give you the Cliff Notes version, and you can write that down, Daniel 10. Just go back and read from verse 1 all the way through the end of the chapter through verse 21, and you will see that Daniel, um, Daniel, who had been taken captive and was in uh, Babylon, uh, he had been given some revelation. Daniel chapter 9, as a matter of fact, uh, gives you some great prophecies that we're still waiting to see fulfilled in regard to what's called Daniel's 70th week, if you hear that term. And when you get into Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's in prayer, and he's, and he's fasting, and he's waiting for an answer from God. He wants more information. He wants to know more of what's going on. So for 21 days, um, you know, he fasted, and he wanted to know what would become of the children of Israel in the last days. He wanted more information about the people of God. And in Daniel chapter 10, an angel appears and reveals that, he, that there is a war over his prayer, and that the powers that be, uh, and I'm not talking about just the, I'm not just talking about you know, the kings of the earth. The angelic hosts are actually contending with God's angels, the good angels that didn't fall, and there is conflict in heaven over what's going on with the affairs of the earth. In this case, geopolitical activity in regard to the nation of Israel and the reestablishment of God's people and the fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament. So God's loaded the nation of Israel with all these promises, covenant promises to Abraham his seed, uh, of course, we get in on some of that because of Jesus Christ, but, but there's still promises that, that, that will not be given to the church that are still going to be fulfilled to Israel. So there's all these things that, that uh, even, of course, that wasn't even worked out yet when Daniel was praying, so I don't want to confuse anybody, but Daniel's praying about what's in front of him. Like, what's going to happen with my people Israel? I know we're supposed to be in for 70 years, and then God gives him more revelation beyond that, and, and so he's got all this information and he's like, what's going to happen with my people? And so the, the angel appears and says, well, Daniel, uh, you know, we were having some contention. But Michael, the archangel, uh, is, is mentioned coming in and basically frees him up and says, I'm good now. I was able to come and tell you. As soon as you prayed, it was answered. I mean, we heard it. But it's just taken us, you know, a few days to get here. And so there's, what was, what was going on? Well, there was spiritual, there was spiritual conflict. And uh, as I often say, spiritual persistence brings satanic resistance. And, and so Daniel was persistent in prayer, and, and the devil was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I, I don't like what God is doing here. And so the angels are, are having, a, having a tussle uh, over words and, uh, and, and authority, which is what's ultimately been going on since Lucifer fell. He wants authority that is not his. Uh, and so we see that there is an ongoing conflict of angelic hosts over the fulfillment of God's word. And this is why our prayer life is so important to advance the kingdom of God. So before I go any further about any conflicts, people think about you know, real wars and they think about you know, guns and all of that kind of stuff because in our context, that's what it falls out to. But the real, the real battle gets done oftentimes in prayer. It is the, it is the hardest thing for you to do today is to disconnect, and for me, to disconnect from all the, the, the noise and the spirit of this age. Uh, and, and, I, and I mean that in every sense, whether it's your phone, uh, the radio, the television. I mean, we are being bombarded constantly with messages just to get away and simply be focused in prayer over the will of God, the words and the will of God. And that, that takes an effort. And it's an effort that we all ought to be engaged in, not just me. We are the priesthood of believers. 
right? And so prayer is, is so important. Daniel was getting some traction. Now, Daniel never picked up a sword uh, that I'm aware of. He was thrown in prison. He, he faced some challenges, but he was primarily a, a diplomat, right? He was working in the, in the upper echelons of government in Babylon, and, uh, and that man never had to pick up a sword, yet he was engaged in the battle. And beloved, when it comes to the spiritual war that's before us, even today, what we need is more people engaged in the battle on their knees and praying, right? I mean, you can come on Sunday night. We pray on Sunday night. We, we advance the mission on Sunday night. And it isn't just people who are sick and ill in the hospital. Though we always pray for those things. But there's also bigger issues and strategic issues. You know, we want to see, for instance, like this week, we could pray uh, that, that God advances the mission in Clinton, right? They're trying to grow the church and build the church in Clinton. We need to be praying about that. Are we praying about that? What about the missionaries? Next week there'll be a missionary prayer event after church on Sunday. If you've never, if you're not part of one of those three prayer teams that are meeting, just jump in on in lunch and jump in on one of the prayer team meetings and get involved and see what that's about. Advancing the mission of God through prayer. Prayer is so important. Prayer is why we have in the back of your bulletin. Uh, you'll see all the lists of the prayer teams, right? You can. That's what is that really about? That's about advancing the mission of God through prayer. Uh, you see the projects that we're doing for Word First. We've got the Bible conference coming up. Well, we need everybody's participation. We need all of that, but we also need to pray because those Bibles are really going to real people have real needs, and those need, it needs to get in the heart and the hands of those people that receive them. Also, you see things like the, the Life Issues Walk, right? That's not just about raising money for a ministry. That's also about reaching people with the gospel in our own community. And that's about getting the job done right here where we live. And so that translates into souls saved. That translates into opportunities to minister to people right here where we live. So all of that really needs to start in prayer. Uh, and so this battle, this, this conflict, right, that we're talking about, this, this uh, theater for which we uh, are engaged in this battle, obviously then is playing out right here uh, on earth. Uh, that's point B. So you don't have point B, I do. But it's being played out on earth. And so Job, in, in Genesis chapter 3, you see that. That's where Satan shows up to beguile Adam and Eve. And Job, you see that Job is involved in this conflict between God and the devil, right? And it's being worked out right on the earth through his life. The Gospels, the New Testament, right? All of those things. You see Satan contending with Jesus himself, taking him up and tempting him. You see him resisting the forward progress of the disciples. You see him uh, working in the ministry in the book of Acts against what God is doing with the apostles, you see, Paul mentioned Satan all the way through his epistles. Why? Because we really have a real adversary, and it's working itself out right here on earth where it is ground zero for the war between light and dark. As a matter of fact, when prophecy is fulfilled, it will be here on earth in Jerusalem uh, when everything gets settled and it's taken care of. It will literally be a physical war and a spiritual war all at one time. So this is the battlefield, and ultimately Satan will make his play on the kingdoms of this world by manifesting himself as God because it, it, will only, it is the only card that he's going to have left to play. And the Spirit has been and his Spirit has been working since the, since the first century. He's been working since before that. And the God's Spirit has been working, and they've been contending. And so, and so it, it, it's just a matter of time before the man of sin will be revealed here on earth in this last century coming. I, I just literally this morning just was reading that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 in my daily reading. And that's the promise, that the man, don't get troubled until you see the man of sin, right? He hasn't revealed himself yet, but he's coming. And uh, the Antichrist is on the way. And so, so we understand that this is a theater of war. 
The earth is the theater of war. It's a theater of spiritual war. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a theologian to recognize that. It's very clear in our society and everything that's going on that there is some tension and contention between good and evil. Even if people won't acknowledge good and they call good evil, the reality is there is a problem here, and it is ultimately a spiritual problem that can only be solved by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And y'all are the agents. I'm the agent. Uh, And it's so important that we engage in this and understand the strategic nature of why God placed you here. Point B, understand the strategic nature of the enemy's attack. So if you are under attack, it's good to know where it's coming from. Satan wanted to stop God's will and the plan for man, so he attacked Adam and Eve in the garden. You guys know that from Genesis chapter 3. So Satan confuses the mind so he can corrupt the heart. The evidence is so obvious in culture today. Gender dysphoria is lauded as enlightenment and what has been uh, enlightenment over what has been true since the beginning. Right? Genesis is very clear. Genesis 1:27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, and then because God knew what was coming, semicolon, and or male and female created he them. Right? There's only two genders. That's it. And so, um, you know, the sociologists, the psychologists, the school administrators, the politician um, who espouse uh, the nonsense uh, that's going on today are just simply wandering into what we call the fields of the fatherless, what the Bible calls the fields of the fatherless. Um, there is, there, it has ultimately got a, an agenda. and it's a, it's a worse agenda than just confusing people about gender. Romans one twenty two says, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. So when someone takes their glasses and they've got them on their face, and then they look at you funny because you don't understand what cisgender means. Don't be intimidated at all. That's nonsense. Uh, <clears throat> yes, you identify with the biological gender that God gave you. That's what that all, that's all that means. So creating terms and terminology to confuse people about gender is just, it's just one more step in a, in a, in a world uh, that is continuously being impacted in a negative way by the, the advance of Satan's agenda, right? He is strategically attacking the minds and hearts of people. Mark my word, and this is not a political statement, by the way, so just so just to throw this out in case somebody's out there going, oh, you hate the Democrats. I'm not, this is not a Democrat, Republican. This is not a right-left discussion. So just, just I'm going to put that on the table. This is a truth and error discussion, okay? This is a biblical discussion. Genesis chapter 1 makes it very clear in verse 22 or, uh, or not Genesis one twenty two Genesis one twenty seven, what the Bible says about gender, and it is self evident over the last uh, you know uh, six thousand years of human history, and so that is not a political statement. All right, so just understand this though. All of this, what is all this about? Because you can get caught up in all the drama and all the discussions and be exacerbated because people don't know what a woman is or what how to define a woman and all of that, uh, which is crazy. Yes, it's true, but all of this is preparing humanity for something even worse. And I believe that's transhumanism. And what, once, what we once understood as mythology will become, well, human hybrids again. And so Satan's attack on humanity continues because Satan is threatened by the promise that we are called the sons of God. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Now, I promise you this. Back when uh, I preached this the first time, I didn't bring all that up because I didn't even understand. I would have not known in 2007 that we would be here today. I, I, would have, I, would have not, I couldn't see this coming. Like, are you serious? People don't... Now, I did preach many years ago about... Uh, down here at UMKC, they had a guy that came out 
and, and was trying to normalize the study of pedophilia, thinking that, well, it's just a natural thing, and it's okay to study it. And, and the whole world erupted. It was all over. It was on BBC. I mean, it was all over the planet. Everybody was like, that is crazy. But I can tell you the chancellor of UMKC didn't think it was crazy. She defended that guy, and it just all kind of just went away. So at that time, I said, listen, guys, what this is about is someday, um, you know, today we think it's crazy. Uh, there's all kinds of perversion that we once thought was crazy, but what, and over time, it becomes normal. And someday, there, that will be, that will, there will be people that will consider that normal and take off their glasses and look at you as you're crazy if you don't agree with them. That pedophilia is just one of those things that we should be involved in. And of course, that's absurd and perverse, and it's just part of the way people go when they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's ultimately about the gospel. They don't know Jesus. It's just the evidence of that. So Satan's attack on humanity uh, is, is, continues because Satan is threatened by the promises that we are, or the promise that we are called the sons of God. Now, I didn't put it in my notes, but 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 tells it, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. That's not yet a period. <clears throat> oh, I just butchered it. But when we see him, we'll be like him. And so, uh, so it doesn't, it does not yet appear we shall be, but when we see him, we'll be like him. So there is a, there is a uh, in his strategic uh, desires to, to corrupt the earth and, and stick a thumb in God's eye or a finger in God's eye, he wants to corrupt humanity. That's what it really boils down to. That's what Genesis was all about and, and, and the flood and, and all the problems that transpired in the garden and messing up humanity there and, and passing that on genetically. That's why we physically die. That's why spiritually we're dead. Uh, and trespass and sins. That's his goal. What you see today is just an, another play on all of that because he wants to continue to deceive and beguile the world. So Satan wanted to stop God's plan, point two, to redeem mankind, so he attacked Jesus in the wilderness. I'm fast-forwarding the tape now, right, from the garden to the wilderness. And I'm not going to look up the text. I think many of you know it. But he tempted him in the same three ways that, that Adam and Eve fell, right? The, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Those three areas that he, he loves to attack, we know where he's coming. He's, he's coming for our flesh, the lust of our eyes, the pride of life. Those are the big three that he uses to corrupt humanity. So point three, Satan wants to stop God's will in your life by attacking your senses. So practically speaking, this, hit, this hits home. We're not talking just about big geopolitical issues or social construct. We're talking about just the reality of where each and every one of us live. It, it hits home because Satan wants to stop God's work through the church, or through in God's will, I should say, in your life by attacking your senses. He wants to over, he wants to touch you, all the senses, right? All the gates he wants open and access to you. And so right now there's a big deal in technology, right? Privacy and, and blocking this and blocking that. Why? Because people want access to your information. Guess what? Satan wants access to your soul, right? Through the eyes, through the ears, through the mouth, through the nose, right? He wants through the, what you touch, I mean, Satan wants access to your soul. Why? Because he wants to corrupt you. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So you're under direct attack. Each and every one of us are every day. And I think if you've been saved, you know, for 10 minutes, right, you know that, right? The Lord, the Lord is in a, there is a conflict between your senses and, and, and what in this world and what God is calling you to why you come to church on Sunday, because there is something supernatural about when we open up this book, and when we read this book, and we believe these words, and the Spirit of God, which we can we, we know is there, we can feel Him, but we can't see Him, and He is calling us to something better. 
He is calling us to holiness, to truth, to righteousness, right? To, to justice, to judgment, to, to just, just goodness, man, holiness. Just all the things that he is. And you just want to bask in that, in that greatness of God Almighty. I mean, I don't know about you, but I do. How about you? I mean, isn't that good? Isn't it good just to be washed over in the blood of Christ, to know you're forgiven, to know that you're resting in him, to know that there is peace, to know that there's love, to know there's joy, to, to actually have access to that in our hearts? I mean, wow! What a, what a Savior. What a victory we have. And i got to get to that. So don't, I don't want to stay too long on Satan's strategy. But Satan wants to stop God's work through the church. So he attacks our unity. Right? He'll attack your senses. He'll attack you spiritually. But he's going to attack the church's unity. He'll attempt to disrupt and destroy our unity in this local church. He attempts to disrupt and destroy the unity in our fellowship of churches. He attempts to disrupt and destroy the unity of the Bible-believing churches at large. His tactics are the same as in the garden. He sends serpents, otherwise known as false prophets, clouds without water, spots in your feast of charity, evil workers, uh, grievous wolves. Use whichever analogy you want. They're all in the New Testament. And he will send those uh, angels of light, and they will come and they will preach a message that is not biblical. It'll be subtle. And they corrupt what God says through subtle questioning of God's word and thereby his authority and the veracity of the word of God, ultimately leading you away from the Bible as your standard for faith and practice. And the Bible no longer, especially the King James Bible, is obviously the attack Bible because it is the word of God in English. And God uh, and, and the devil attacks it because it is the words of God in our language. And so if the serpent can get us to believe God's words are corrupt, then he will question God's character. Or we will question God's character. God's will and plan for us and all that he created. Man, I know, I know you would not do this, but I know I have come up against things in time uh, where in, in, in where I'm actually saying, Lord, man, you know, I, I, thought, I thought you were good, but this don't feel good, right? And so we, we tend to look at things uh, through our own lens. And I tell you guys, the first thing, I remember when I started the church, um, because it felt so wobbly at the beginning, uh, the wheels just felt like they were coming off the wagon. I realized really quickly, if this church was going forward, it wasn't because of people. It wasn't because the only thing that holds a church together is not me, it is not you. It is Jesus and his spirit. Because the people, we're just people. Every one of us from top to bottom. It is the fact that we do unite and we do go forward in God's mission in itself is evidence of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because it doesn't matter if you're black or white, rich or poor. It doesn't matter where you come from. God brings us all together as one in Christ. And, and we operate for him, right? He's the, he is the unifying factor because his word is true. And if the devil can corrupt that, uh, he will. And, and I tell you what, when, when people let you down, if you put your faith in people, you'll start to feel like God's letting you down. God's not letting you down. God's, God is always there. Though I will be with you always, even till the end. Even if I die, right, I will serve him. That's the mindset a warrior has to have is that God's word is true even when I visibly don't see it, even when everything around me doesn't look right. That's why Daniel was praying. He's like, man, I've got these prophecies, but I, I'm not feeling it. I need to know what's going to happen, Lord. Why? Because he, needs to, he wants the confirmation of what God has said. That's what we all want. We want confirmation of what God has said. Someday our faith will be sight. But until then, we have to trust the word of God on what God says. We have to believe not only in, oh, yes, someday I'm going to heaven, but right now, today, I'm walking in the Spirit so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? It works out into our everyday life 
in who we are and what God has called us to do. Otherwise, we're just going to sit around and be tossed about with every wind of doctrine. right? And the church will be of none effect, but the church is of effect because it is the pillar and it is the ground of the truth. This is the place that God has said, hey, listen, if you want to get tuned in and you want to know where to go to battle and you want to know how to go to battle and you want to get equipped for battle, go to the local church. And David Platt's right. A lot of our local churches are not equipping the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God by the grace of God. But by God's grace, that's the church that we are. And we will do that for his glory. All right, so the serpent, can get, if he can get us to believe that God's word is corrupt, then the next thing you know, you're going to question his character and his plans for us. And the next thing you know, you're going to be in his control instead of God. So point five, Satan is defeated. You need to understand that. Satan is defeated but he wants to take as many souls as he can with him. You know, in, in uh, <clears throat> May 1st of 2003, George Bush declared victory in Iraq after successfully invading and overthrowing Saddam Hussein. Some of you may remember that. Some of you weren't alive in 2003. But uh, in 2003, how many of you remember that? He stood on the deck of a carrier, had this big sign. I had a picture, but I didn't put it up there. Big sign, mission accomplished. And he gives this speech. At that time, there was 176 American fatalities, uh, according to the Department of Defense. And the U.S. had won the war, according to George Bush, but the battles <clears throat> were not over. Uh, at that time, last time I preached this message in 2007, there were 2,474 fatalities since we declared victory, right? Um, an additional 2,298 Bush that declaration. But as of 2020, there were 4,586 casualties. American casualties. This isn't overall casualties. These are just American casualties. So he stands up and he declares war, declares victory. 176 dead. Victory. We've won. Mission's accomplished. 4,500 plus American soldiers dead. 2020. Still related to that initial thing. Now what am I saying? That statement is not intended to be political but illustrative. This is very much the way Satan operates. You see, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished 2,000 years ago. And when he said it, he meant it. But Satan is still inflicting as much damage as he can before he goes to the lake of fire. You say, just because you have won and you have the power doesn't mean the enemy just quits. Why? Because he's still lurking around trying to pick off as many of us as he possibly can until his, his day comes. And beloved, that's the business that we got to be understanding, that there is a strategic, uh, there's a strategic battle going on. Yes, we have got the victory, and yes, Satan is all, as good as dead, but in the meantime, we got some live fire going on. And if we don't take it seriously, you're going to get hit, and you're not going to make it. The collateral damage in this conflict are the souls of men. Now turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. It won't take you long. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse, I may even have this, I might have this memorized. <clears throat> I like verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. But notice what he says in verse 2. Wherein, you hear the pages. So I'm going to take a drink of water while you turn to Ephesians 2. I feel green. Okay, so. Okay, and you have the quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to 
the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So Paul is saying there that there is a power, right? There is a prince, a prince of the power of the air, and he's working right now in the children of disobedience. There are, there are, just like you represent the Lord, the devil has people that represent him, whether they know it or not. I used to be one of those. I know what it's like to represent the devil because I used to work for him before I got saved. So the soldiers in this conflict are, well, they're us. Look over to chapter 6. We were over there a few weeks ago. Verse 12. For we, that's you and I, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Right? So there is some tension that you were feeling from the principalities and powers. There always has been, there always will be. The reason you have a Bill of Rights in this nation is because Baptists in particular felt a lot of pressure from both principalities and religious groups who did not like Baptists, Bible believers. Right? There's tension, there's, there's a wrestling. The soldiers in this conflict are the saints of God. You are in this conflict whether you like it or not, but you need to make sure that you avail yourself of the power of the local church and understand that God has given you not just a, a, an ability to survive, but to thrive, and not only to face the enemy, but to save the enemy. Because you and I are both, we were all enemies before we met Christ. We have a whole different disposition in this conflict. Our job is is to get the gospel where it needs to go because we don't have an issue. We already understand we have the victory. And that if people don't receive the love of Christ today, they are going to face the wrath of God. That's why we are his ambassadors for Christ. That's why it is urgent that we get the gospel where it needs to go, not because we're victims, but because we know we're victors. And we believe what the Bible says about God's judgment. We believe what the Bible says about what's coming. We understand what the truth is. So we take the Bible, the, the good news, the simple message of Jesus Christ, everywhere God has, it, has us to go. So point C, we need to understand the, the strategic nature of God's deliverance. God strategically chose the seed of woman to bear the Savior, Genesis 3.15. Satan's at attacked Eve's seed, so God uses Eve's seed to bear the Savior to the world. Isn't that interesting? So God, God the, the adversary attacks the seed of woman, guess what? He says, well you're going to attack the seed of woman and go after the weak, I'm going to, from the weak, I'm going to bring forth your destruction. Of course, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the seed, the promised seed. God, strategi God strategically chose the seed of Abraham in Genesis 12, 12 through 3, uh, to bring forth promise to the nation of Israel. He said, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Of course, we understand that not only did God do that through Abraham and then the nation of Israel, but he did that also through Jesus. Point three, God strategically chose the tribe of Judah and then narrowed it down to the seed of Jesse. Isaiah 11.10, the Bible says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of, people, uh, of the people, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And God strategically chose the place of the Savior's birth in the town of Bethlehem. Every Christmas we celebrate that in Micah 5.2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, 
Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. And God strategically selected a key city, of course, is Jerusalem. And God strategically placed the Savior right where he needed to be so he could accomplish what he needed to accomplish in redemption as the Lamb of God. And point six, the battle has revolved around Jerusalem and continues to this day. This is, the very, this is very important to discerning the times and the seasons. When President Trump officially recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, filled prophecy is Jerusalem will be the epicenter of future prophecy concerning the fulfillment of, of God's kingdom uh, for the kingdom of heaven. And all geopolitical activity since 606 B.C. has revolved around Jerusalem and Israel, even if the powers that be don't know that. That's the facts. So we've got to understand the scope of God's mission. Now back to our text in Matthew 28, 18-20. I started you in verse 19, but go back to our text. I want you to look back in verse 18. Just look at what it says there. It says, <clears throat> it says And Jesus came and spake unto them, his disciples, saying, Notice what it says. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Three times I said the word all. So God provides all power to go to all nations with a mandate to teach them all things whatsoever he has said to us. So God... Chose the, the poor, uh, chose to pour out his spirit in Acts chapter 2 when the, uh, when the entire Hebrew world was gathering at Jerusalem in a strategic city at a key time and a key place for Passover. And God poured out his spirit uh, so the apostles could minister strategically. In Acts 1.8 he told them, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. So God strategically placed everything in order so that he would give his spirit out when everybody was gathered from around the world so that he could get this message to all nations. The Apostle Paul took this even further by taking the gospel to the Gentile nations and focusing solely on the Gentiles, although he still ministered in Jerusalem and to the Jews to no avail. But God is calling HBF to accomplish the same mission, the same scope is given to us. We do this by making disciples and engaging in the mission in all phases, just as God commanded. Based in Acts chapter 2 and verse 8, we're trusting God to accomplish the mission strategically, simultaneously, and supernaturally. As we come into missions conferences, you'll hear us say that over and over again. We do that. We believe in Acts chapter uh, 2 and verse 8 that God would have us, uh, or 1 and verse 8, I should say, God would have us to accomplish his mission supernaturally, uh, strategically, simultaneously, and supernaturally. You can't get it done without his power. So that's exactly what Jesus charged the apostles to do uh, when uh, he left them as our example and example. And the apostle Paul, uh, what he was doing in the churches in the first century is exactly what we're doing here at HBF today. We're making disciples, we're planting churches, we're sending missionaries. Or are we? That's the bottom line. Or are we? Are we doing that or are we not? Or are we just having church services? God forbid we're just having church services. That's why we have a discipleship process. That's why we have an HBI. That's why we, we engage people in the word of God. Point E. The, church that, the churches that impact real war zones must understand the strategic nature of God's mission. So God sends key men to key cities because key cultures must be impacted with the gospel. 
There's still places in the world, believe it or not, that have not heard the gospel. What they need is a key man. They need to be a trained man that goes with the word of God. When you study the ministry of Paul, God directed him to key cities to win key men and establish key churches. When a church understands the strategic nature of God's mission, they can then direct the resources to supply the needs of those key ministers and ministries. When we support men, we got a Boston trip coming up here in a few weeks. And that what are we going to Boston for? Because it's one of the top 26 cities in the world, top 25 actually, listed of influential cities in the world. It's banking, it's technology, it's education. All of that is right there, not just in the United States, but in the world. Well, there's a key man there, a man who thinks like us, believes like us, understands the Bible, just like us. Well, what should we do? We should support key men and key cities. That's what we do. So we're helping them in that endeavor there. Uh, whether it's Joe Hendricksman in Oaxaca or wherever it is around the world, uh, we want to make sure we're about the business, getting the gospel. But it, that doesn't preclude that we send our own people out of this church to key places and key cities around the world, whether that be in this community, in the, or in the communities around us, in this four-state area, or to key cities in our country, or anywhere else around the world as God calls them. The New Testament epistles are the communiques from the key war zones of that time. Paul wrote to the churches and encouraged them to send supplies. What does he want them to send? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you go to Ephesians 6, uh, which is where we were just a few minutes ago, uh, in verse 18 through 20, God, God asked for supplies. We need to be sending some supplies. There's other epistles where he's asking for financial help and all of that. But it's interesting in Ephesians 6, verse 18, he says this. This is what I need you to supply. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I need you to supply prayer. Verse 19, in that for me, utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. For I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You see, he wanted, he wanted prayer that he would be able to fulfill the ministry of preaching the gospel boldly as he ought to speak. Not just preaching the gospel, but boldly as he ought to speak. He wanted his words to be as the words of God to the people that needed to hear him. And beloved, that's what we need to be about every day. That's why we talk about and we have teams called Intentional Gospel Outreach Teams. Anyone here can get on it. It doesn't matter who you are. Anyone can get on an IGO team. And you can pray and you can witness. You can get involved in just being intentional about your gospel outreach because that is ultimately what we all need to be about the business of doing. He goes about asking, Paul goes beyond being a soldier to an ambassador, an envoy on a mission to, to the heads of state. In this case, Nero, who was a direct contact with the powers of hell. He was sent on a strategic, uh, sent to a strategic city to contact strategic man so God could proclaim his victory to the powers that be. You know what? God has a plan. Now, maybe God doesn't call you to go and, and uh, preach to Nero, right? Maybe God doesn't want you to go to the, to, you know, the White House or the Middle East to talk to some head of state. You know, God has vessels that do what he wants, but he wants us all to talk to somebody. And ultimately, when you think about God's strategic mission and discerning God's strategic mission, if you don't understand that you're in a war, you won't prepare for one. If we don't understand that we are part of the, of the outcome of this war, then we won't engage like that. And so I pray that today, under this first point, as we look at God's discerning God's strategic mission and understanding that it is, it is the work of, it's not just the work of the pastor or the pastors. It's imperative that every member of the body of Christ um, engage in God's strategic mission. Now, you have to first understand that you're in the battle. You've got to own that. 
You've got to realize that when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to the store, you're not just there kind of bebopping through life, looking for your entertainment, looking to how to fulfill your soul. That's all happened in Christ. God has you there to share the goodness of God with others. And so it's important that we keep spiritually healthy. If you have a standing army, you need them to stay fit. You don't go through boot camp and then say, oh, don't worry about PT. Well, don't worry about it. You, you took care of that in boot camp. It's all, that box is checked, right? If you're in the military in a standing army, what do, you, do you have to do PT? Yeah, you got to stay ready, I think. You got to stay up to, do you just stop training? Oh, technology's never going to change. Don't worry about future training. It's all good. You got that in D1. It's all good. Now, we have to continuously stay on our A game because God has a plan for us. He has a plan for each and every one of us to engage. <clears throat> it was under, understanding God's strategic mission to establish a people that directed Abraham to the promised land. It was Moses' understanding of God's strategic mission that led Moses to lead God's people out of bondage. It was Joshua's understanding of God's strategic mission that led him to drive out the enemies of God and, and uh, procure the promised land. It was the judge's strategic understanding of God's mission that caused them to rise up amid the apathy, apostasy, and anarchy of their day and gain a foothold of faith to advance the kingdom of heaven. And it was young David who understood God's strategic mission, as we talked about several weeks ago, that stood and defeated the Philistines. It was Daniel who prayed and understood God's strategic mission that changed the course of Israel's history. It was Ezra who understood the importance of God's uh, revelation, right, his words, and established worship in Jerusalem because he understood God's mission. It was Nehemiah who understood God's strategic mission, and he was moved in response uh, to restore the walls around Jerusalem so that city could, could uh, function the way it was supposed to function. And it was Jesus who saw God's love and stepped in to fulfill his strategic mission of redeeming Adam's fallen race. And it is you and I who have received the gospel that have stepped into this real battle so that you can make a real impact for God's glory in his strategic let me ask you this morning as we conclude, what is God asking? Maybe it's just to simply believe his words today. It's not an issue of, of some great work. It just starts with just understanding that, man, God's word is true. God has placed me on the planet for such a time as this. I have a part in this. You know what that is. I bet some of you do. I think many of you do in this room probably. Good. If you know why God's put you here, and you're doing it, man, hallelujah to you. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. I want to just keep giving you the tools that you need to accomplish God's mission and God's power for his glory. Amen and amen. Keep growing, keep going. But some of you may be here this morning, and you know you're not where you need to be. You're not engaged like you need to be. You don't even understand what's going on. You look around at the, the winds of doctrine flowing around through the, the media, and you look at all this world, and, and you're beside yourself. You're like, oh, my goodness, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. I'm going to lose my 401K, right? Yeah, you might. But you got Jesus there, right? What are we really hoping in? What is our, where is our faith really found, and what is our peace? Who is our peace? Right? We have perfect peace because our minds have stayed on him. Man, that's what this world needs. Now, I don't want anyone to lose their 401k. I don't want to lose mine. I am actually losing mine. If you've looked at your, if you look lately, it's going, <laughs> it's going down. At the end of the day, though, it is what it is. 
our hope. And we have to be focused on that. Don't allow anything to take you off focus. Because that's what the devil would have you to do, off focus. He wants you to be off mission. Cause you to doubt God's character, get in the middle of your business, mess up not just your life, but the people that follow you. Fruit that he wants to have. Remember, faithful leaders, they have, they're fruitful and they're faithful. They've got to be out front. If you're looking around waiting for everybody else to tell you what to do, it's time to get back to the Bible because the person that's going to tell you what to do is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our leader. He is the person who's already given us the great commission and the great commandment, and with that, a great invitation. So to respond today, that's what we need to do. Maybe he wants us to not just believe something, but to respond in obedience. Today, maybe someone here needs to come to faith in Christ. The good news is, with all this talk about the devil, is that Jesus Christ has already won. But many people don't know that. They need, and maybe there's someone under the sound of my voice, maybe someone online is listening today, and they don't really understand that Jesus Christ is sufficient, that he has died on the cross already for their sins. The battle has been won. And if you don't come to faith in Christ today, you will be like a casualty, one of those you know, 4,000-plus casualties that I read about. Because your safety is not found in the, in the things of this earth. It's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you need to come to faith in Christ today, I would invite you to just simply acknowledge your need and we will help you with the Bible so you can know how you can have a relationship. Let's stand together in an attitude of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for this first point as we look at uh, this reality of discerning God's strategic mission. I pray, Heavenly Father, that the Spirit of God would... Teach us all things whatsoever you've said to us. And if there's anyone under the sound of my voice today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today they would be saved by your grace through faith in Jesus.